Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. This is the fourth episode of 2021, and we're just days away from the Australian Open. Got a great show for you this week. Mitch Michaels here, and our guest of the week, worldwide traveler himself, former tennis player, current TC analyst, Prakash Armitrage on the line. Prakash, thanks for joining the TC Live Podcast. Now visit number two for you, so you are a reoccurring guest. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll do many more. I, uh, glad to be on. Lots to talk about. Excited about tennis actually happening. Yeah, we're, we're so glad that tennis is back. Uh, first question for you, though. Are we actually recording this in the middle of a workout? And if so, could you give us detail on sets and reps and what the plan is today? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's a hectic week. Uh, you know, of course, I'm doing TC Live, so... You know, that's a live show plus all the other hits that we do. So those are long hours in the studio working on, you know, all our, our film production stuff and had a few auditions this week as well. So getting in the workouts when I can, usually real early, was up at about five today to get a couple of meals in before I started working out. And uh, in case you're wondering, Mitch, since you asked, it's shoulder day. Okay. So uh, we're, we're doing some shoulder press, some raises. And uh, trying to get in and out before we get over to the studio. So it's shoulder day. So we, we have to hit up uh, Zachary then, I think, is the is the way to go if that's the plan. Listen, listen, that's, listen, the, listen. that's like, that's, that's a bucket list to get shoulders in with her. She looks great. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's a nice segue, Prakash, because, you know, going into this tournament, we heard about the, the quarantine procedures, the, the lead-ups to the Australian Open. There's tournaments and matches all over ATP Cup action in Melbourne, a couple tournaments for both tours. And part of the issues and part of the challenges that these players had to overcome was having to do it in a quarantine, which we found out would be a hard quarantine for some, as unfortunately there were some positive tests. So you're talking two weeks in a hotel room, no practice, can't even leave the door, can't even leave the room. I heard you mention on TC Live that, you know, the Bruce Lee mantra, be water, and, and the mental test and the mental strength is going to be the key to this. So I'm wondering if with your experiences, obviously getting into fitness, but also building up that mental bank and that mental strength, what do you think the biggest challenges are that these players are going to have to overcome? And if you were in their position, how would you attack this uh, unique and daunting challenge? Well, honestly, it's no different than sort of the way you tackle anything. You're just presented with more challenges here. You know, life is constantly changing circumstances. So if you can kind of adapt that mindset, it's new challenges and you, you're never going to expect to play perfect. It's just what you can bring on that day. And then whoever adapts that mindset is, is going to be the one that brings the best, you know, keeping the right perspective. And uh, we had a chance to chat with Nick Monroe yesterday. And, you know, he was getting two-hour workouts in every day. You know, he had a little bit of weight some bike, and uh, I think to a large degree, it's just making do with what you have and trying to create some normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've seen just how professional these players are, the commitment it takes to go over there, and uh, the level's been 
I've been pleasantly surprised with how good the level's been right out of the gate, considering that a lot of these players haven't even been able to practice that much. Uh, I do have to say, though, it, it has to be just, I don't want to say crushing, but definitely another challenge that you get into a rhythm, Prakash, you're, you're ready to play, there's been some great matches, and then there is the hotel positive test, and you have to shut it down for a day. Luckily, it was just a day, but that's got to disrupt the rhythm as well. Yeah, it certainly does. But listen, listen, we got to understand here. Uh, I'll, I'll be breathing a little heavy on and off, by the way. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> you got to understand, eight months ago, everyone was sitting at home, mm-hmm. begging to even go out and practice, let alone, oh my God, what's going to happen to my income? I can't go earn. I can't go play. There were so many issues last year. Just the fact that Craig Tiley, yeah. Tennis Australia have gone completely overboard to try to create a safe atmosphere for the players to play in. At this point, I think it's anything that you can get to be yeah. super grateful for. Everyone has a chance to compete. And you know what? There's, there's always going to be obstacles. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we've seen changes in the scoring, right? Even when everything was fine to a tie break at 12 all mm-hmm. at Wimbledon or whatever. That's an adjustment. Here for this week, all of a sudden, the women had to play a breaker as the third set, instead of complaining, it is what it is. Yeah. Would you rather be at home, sitting down, not playing tennis? So I think, you know, that is just sort of a switch that the players have to flip in their head. You know, I'm choosing to look at it this way mm-hmm. instead of this way. But but the big thing, I think, is players really have to watch out for their body. Mm. You know, when you've been in sort of <laughs> almost a state of atrophy, and then all of a sudden you go into highest pressure situations out there battling for three sets or in the guy's case five sets as it is it takes about six weeks to try to train your body for that you know you got to make sure that you don't injure yourself especially over the course of possibly seven matches you're exactly right on that front and uh, i also think you know i know you're a fan of other sports as well it's why you put the work in in the off season you know you bank up those workouts those muscle memory and, and a lot of championships in sports have been won by the michael jordans and the tom brady's by putting that time in when no one's looking that you're going to have to rely on when you face adversity uh that being said prakash i love all the tennis that we've had uh it's really unprecedented in a lot of ways and one way is all this tennis the week days even before a major i mean we love it it's awesome it's definitely unique you got the atp cup you got all these singles tournaments going on for both tours as james blake said on the show this week it's almost like cramming before a big test yeah it it is it's um it's weird i don't believe you can cram before a sporting test you know to a large degree the work's been done where you can you can do some sort of cramming if you want to call it that is is mentally you know i mean i truly believe you can sit alone in your room and focus on either visualization or watching footage or whatever it may be and you're practicing you're doing work in your head and i really believe that can translate into the game but as far as physical work and so forth Listen, you go run 35 miles the week before a slam, it's not going to, you know, pay off the next week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a gradual progression physically. But uh, I think the biggest thing is just sort of practicing detachment, letting go of what you're used to. Yeah. You know, tennis players and athletes in general, such creatures of routine, you know, and, and people are trying to cling on to that. It's interesting. We've seen Rafa this week. 
he hasn't played right. at the ATP Cup. And he made it very clear uh, at the beginning, you know what, I, I, I don't play the week before a slam. You know, I've never, I've never done it. And look, the guy's won 20 grand slams. Surely you want to stick with what works. So I, I don't, uh, I'm hoping that his back really isn't that bad and this is more precautionary, half superstitious. But, you know, players will, in crazy situations, try to find what still works for them and try to create some sort of normalcy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And bringing up Rafa, I think you hit the nail on the head with these players that are creatures of habit. They basically say, have the same schedule up until the pandemic hit all year. They stay at the same hotels. They do the same routine over and over again. And Rafa's almost like a well-oiled machine at this point where I'm hopeful that it's not a serious issue. And I think he knows his body better than anyone else that he's going to make sure that he puts himself in the best position to win slams because that's obviously what's most important to him. Uh, and looking at this ATP Cup, I know you got to go to it last year and cover it, and it was a, an amazing experience for an inaugural event. Uh, I've been just thrilled by the match play, all the great tennis. We've seen great singles events, but still, still in this sport, Prakash, Novak Djokovic reigns supreme. Some great matches with Shapovalov and Zverev where they gave him everything he can handle. But at the end of the day, just a few points, just a few margins, and Noe is still on top. Well, he's gotten exactly what he's wanted. He's gotten to uh, not play too much, but the, but the matches that he's had, he's gotten to work on pressure, pressure, pressure mm. reps. How do you play that five-all game versus Varev in the third set, you know, where he was able to come through? How do you play these matches against Shapovalov, you know, who, who is going to be one of his threats out there, you know, uh, as part of that new class that's coming in? He's gotten exactly what he's wanted. He sort of performed the way he wanted to in those moments. And for Novak, it's less about, you know, hitting the ball, of course. It's more about just feeling finely tuned in those sharp moments. So as if Australia wasn't a great enough hunting ground for him, he, he seems to be just getting the perfect preparation. On the flip side of that, too, Prakash, for guys like Shapovalov, Zverev, you know, Berrettini's down there. We've seen Sinner and some other big matches, Medvedev, you name it. What's that preparation like for those guys that haven't really, you know, in a lot of senses, haven't won a major before, but are getting the chance to play against Djokovic in, in this pre-event where it's not the traditional warm-up warm-up tournament where you might have some light matchups, you'll make your way deep into a tournament and, and play the tough competition. You're playing tough competition, number one singles, right out of the gate. So I ask you, what's the preparation like on that regard? How can that be a benefit going into a Grand Slam? You know, these young guys, they're, they're hungry, they're eager, and I really don't think they have to worry about the body as much, managing the body. You know, a guy like Chavala, I saw him in a, in a couple of slams where you know, the guy's playing back-to-back five-step matches, and the guy's spring around still playing doubles after these matches. So I think it's less about body management for them and more about being eager and just, just playing a lot. So the yeah. fact that they're getting to play these matches, and listen, just because you play a ton of matches, it doesn't necessarily prepare you to play a Novak Djokovic and slam. So getting any kind of look, uh, uh, not a practice look, a match look at a champion like Nole, which these guys have gotten this week, that's, 
that's absolute gold for them. If you get the chance to play number one singles in this tournament, it's an insanely awesome preparation. You're getting to play the best all these countries have to offer, in a lot of cases, slam contenders, as opposed to maybe just one or two slammed contenders if you're lucky in a lead-up tournament. So I think it's just phenomenal. I, I think it's a great opportunity, and it's going to, you know, as they say, iron sharpens iron. Uh, even today on shoulder day for you, you understand that. So uh, <laughs> I, I, will just, I will just add something, Mitch. Uh, listen, uh, Craig Tiley, again, I can't reiterate enough what a great job he's done to create this opportunity for the players. But I was there at the ATP Cup last year. And let me tell you, that was one of the most special events I've been to. They were able to create an atmosphere there where the players were so invested all, in all three cities, Perth, Brisbane, and Sydney. And then, of course, the final, Serbia and uh, Spain, where I, I was literally sitting I was standing right in front of the courtside seats. I was basically on the court watching that match. And the, the atmosphere was just in, in, insane. And the players were so fired up. The, the way they were able to manufacture that just in year one of an event just makes me feel I really, really hope, God willing, things will slowly return to normalcy and we'll get that back again. Because we saw so many fans travel from those countries. I saw so many Serbian flags, so many... Uh, Spanish flags, and uh, I would just love to see this event return to that atmosphere and continue to grow. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Prakash Armitraj on the TC Live podcast. Uh, we're we're all hopeful that the day that this you know pandemic ends, we can get some full fans and full crowd support. Before we get to the women and what they've been up to on this, uh, Prakash, just one note, one more note on the ATP Cup. Dominic Team had a pretty rough loss to uh, Berrettini in his first match for Austria. And it got me thinking, you know, the U.S. Open that he won his lone Grand Slam, the same kind of thing happened with him where he lost brutally uh, in the Western Southern Open to Krajanovic, and it wasn't very much competitive. And I'm wondering, you know, you can look at it like, well, you know, it might be a good omen that he lost that and won the major. I'm just looking at it from the perspective that this guy seems like he needs to find that groove of playing matches. We always hear about Dominic Team loves to be on the court. You have to drag him off of it. And I do think he's a rhythm player that needs to get, you know, in a basketball term, shots up. What's your read on Team going into this major, coming off of a year where he did break that, you know, drought and win his first one? I think it may have been an issue before he won the U.S. Open, but now that he has that under his belt, I think it's much less of an issue. I mean, look, when you're a young player coming up, trying to look, I don't want to say young player, Dominic's been around, he's very experienced, but I guess when you're not one of the big three, big four who's been winning everything, the big question is, can I do it? Now that he's crossed over that giant hump, which, you know, the rest of the field has not, he knows he has it inside him. So just because he has a loss here and there, that, that can I do it is never going to go away. You know, yeah. even on a, on a much, 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 much more giant scale, you look at a guy like Fed, who on TC Live, we had to give our Fed predictions this year in slams. It, it doesn't matter that he hasn't played for a year. It doesn't matter that he has had a knee surgery. 
that, oh, can I do it? That's never going to go away for Fed. You know, he can take that year off and come back. Whether he does it or not, sure, that's a different story. But for him, he knows he can come back and win a Wimbledon. He can win a slam. So on a smaller scale, the fact that Dominic has crossed that line, I don't think we should put too much stock into this. I think he's still one of the front runners behind the top couple guys for the title. Yeah, I mean, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, even Rublev, who's looked great. Those guys, Zverev, they haven't done it yet. So team does, you know, he's earned that right to say, you know, he's counted to seven match wins in a Grand Slam before when the other guys haven't. So we'll monitor how he looks going uh, forward as the Aussie Open's about to start. But Prakash on the women's side, a lot of great tennis. Every single player just about in the top at the top of the game is playing. A lot of different storylines. want to start with Serena because she comes to this tournament. She came to Melbourne. Uh, in shape, looked very fit, won a couple of uh, in- intense matchups last night against Danielle Collins as we record this in that third, you know, that match tiebreak third set scenario. But then she pulls out of the tournament today where she was supposed to play Ash Barty. So Serena looks good. She gets a couple matches in. I think the condensed schedule may have been a reason for pulling out. She cited a, soldier, a shoulder, but doesn't appear to be that serious. What's your thoughts on Serena at age 39, this version of her, going for her 24th slam? I, I absolutely, absolutely think she has a slam or multiple slams in her at this stage, 100%. I think the factors are a little bit different for her than they used to be. You know, I think a few more things do have to fall into place because mm-hmm. there are obviously more contenders, even when she's playing at her best, which didn't used to be the case when Serena was playing her best. It was kind of, that's all she wrote. You know, you got to look at Naomi Osaka probably, in my eyes, maybe as the front runner for this year's event, just given her form and and how comfortable she looks. Um, You know, defending champion, Sonia Kennan. A lot of the younger players are playing amazing tennis. Arena Sabalenka, Pliskova has a new coach now. Uh, Sasha, I think that's going to be really good for her. So uh, there are a lot of players in the mix there. And of course, let's not forget about Ash Barty, of course, mm-hmm. and, and being in Australia. But having said that, I think the biggest thing for Serena at this stage is not too different to a Tiger Woods or a LeBron or a Federer, taking care of the body and coming in the best physical shape you can be. And we've seen that. Serena looks fantastic. I think this is the best she's looked in 12, 18 months physically. And her ball striking looked good. I think she got out of this week what she wanted, had some pressure points, had a, had, a, had a comfortable match, had a tight one with Danielle. So she's gotten some match play under her belt. Probably, in her eyes, maybe no need to really stress herself out before a slam. She knows how much of a toll it can take mentally, spiritually, and physically. So uh, I, I like where she's at right now moving into the slam. What I think her pillars are going to be to watch out for is how she manages the first week. Um, if she doesn't, you know, perhaps go three sets, any matches that take too much of a toll on her, she's able to get in, get out, do good recovery on the body, and kind of save the big toll for the second week. If she can get fortunate that way, we all know she she has the tennis to beat literally anyone on the planet, even at this age, which is just, I I can't even (laughs) quantify, uh, you know, the greatness that it takes for that. I mean, she won her first U.S. Open, what, in 1999? That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that was a long time ago, uh, to say the least. I I think there's a couple things you touched on. You're absolutely right that the talent field has gotten better, and that's going to be a problem. In in addition to her aging, there's a lot more players in the mix now. 
the question with Serena has always been because we know that in one match, her one-on-one, she could beat anybody. We know she can do it. She's done it many, many times. It's getting through seven matches. It's, as you said, taking care of her body and keeping her fitness level up. So the signs I was looking for going into the major I think they've been answered, you know, exemplary. It's she's in shape. She's committed. She's gotten herself focused. We're not going to know it until it happens, whether or not she can run that gauntlet. And the draw did come out today. But, you know, I agree with you. I think it's all about managing that first week. And and in the second week, it would help to have some breaks to maybe avoid some opponents. But that that is the life of of running through a Grand Slam. You're going to need some breaks to to make it work. But, yeah, I think if she stays healthy, if she can, you know, stay upright and grind out some victories early and, and just put herself in the best position to succeed, I think we have uh, a, a lot of potential to see Serena win a major. And I actually think, Prakash, going forward, this Australian one might be one of the ones for her to target in the latter years of her career, given that she's going to have that offseason to train and maybe not, you know, have too much wear and tear. Yeah, I, just going back on one of your points, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, getting breaks as far as a, a certain opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, some are tougher than others. But, you know, I mean, look look at the match she played where she lost to uh, Vika at the yeah. U.S. Open. That was, I mean, you, you flip a coin on that match. And then you flip a coin on Vika's match in the final with Naomi. So it's a couple points here and there. I think she put herself in a good position there. And listen, when Serena puts herself in those positions, more often than not, she, she finds a way. So I think this is continuing to give herself opportunities. And I actually still think Wimbledon is his, her best shot at taking a slam. She knows how to use the surface to her advantage more than I'd say almost anyone else out there. You know, she's sort of a master of more spins, I'd say, on the WTA than any female player. She's able to use the slice and angles. And, of course, she still has that magnificent reliable serve, which is the best we've ever seen in the women's game. So even though she's had a nice break and and been able to rest up coming into the Aussie, I, I love her in London. Shorter points for sure, and that serve might be the last thing that goes for her, the greatest serve in women's tennis history. Uh, Something else you said. Uh, but last thing to go. Yeah. Last yeah. thing to go for a boxer is that punch. <laughs> you know, true. it's true. That's 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 Serena's punch. That's her knockout power for sure. Uh, and and on a similar note, you mentioned Naomi Osaka is probably the favorite in this tournament, which I would also agree with. Watching her matches, she's still in the semifinal at Melbourne. She beat Bagu last night, seven five six one. Um, Saw a couple points early in that match. A lot of similar score lines with, with Naomi that she'll have a tough first set and just wear you down by the second set and pull away. Is serving herself out of break point chances. Her serve is unreal, in a way underrated because I don't think it gets enough credit on the first and second serve. Just Naomi's ability, we know how great she is, the all-encompassing game for Kosh, but her ability to get free points, something that outside of Serena you don't necessarily see as much on the women's game. Naomi's serve, Naomi's focus, I've just been delighted to see, and I think she absolutely deserves to be at the, at the forefront of favorites this tournament. Yeah, she certainly does. And let's let's not forget something here. Naomi is, she's at the infancy of her career. She's so young. She's achieved so much. And something that I pointed out on TC Live this week is, you know, she's over the last year, uh, especially the last six months, she signed a lot of new uh, business deals, contracts. And, you know, she's settling into her role as a, as a worldwide conglomerate. And, you know, that takes a minute to understand and accept. 
And I think dealing with that off-court stuff and maturing as an individual has just as much, if not more, to do with your success and career than the way you hit the tennis ball. Yeah. So I think, I think the fact that she seems so much more comfortable in her own skin, she's coming out of her shell a bit more, she's settling into this place where she is comfortable being such an icon in, in the global sort of sphere of things. I think all of that is just going to help. And she's going to sink more and more into her confidence. And, you know, all of that makes a big deal on those 30-40s and semifinal matches that you shouldn't win, but you find a way to win that we've seen uh, Serena and Venus and, and all the great champions do so often through their career. All of that's only going to help Naomi. She's in a great spot right now, which she did in New York, not just having the courage to stand up and speak out for what she believes in, but actually having the guts to back it up. Yeah, I'm going to bring seven masks incredible. and I'm going to wear them all each for one match that I play and win the tournament. That, that goes a long way as far as, you know, building your confidence. So I just think she's getting started. I think she's just going to continue to become a better and better player. I know the first major is the one that everybody remembers, you know, most fondly in a lot of ways and vividly. But I, I think at the end of her career, whenever it is a long time from now, we might be looking at that major this past year at the U.S. Open as the most important one because she proved she can balance it. She proved, like you said, she can back up what she says and can have off-court interests and off-court activism and still play at a high level and be the best player in the sport. So, yeah, I think that New York U.S. Open, that, that opened Pandora's box, and that could be scary for the rest of the players on tour. Yeah, it certainly can. And listen, I, I, I'm the biggest proponent of using whatever gifts, powers, abilities you have for something greater. And it, it seems Naomi is a huge proponent of that. And she's going to continue to feel certain things that are outside of the sport. And as long as she does it with righteousness, which I believe she completely has within her, I think she's going to be a great thing, not just for sport, but for, for the whole world. So, Prakash, looking at the rest of this tur- these tournaments leading into the Australian Open on the women's side, who stood out for you as somebody that's looked great or shown potential that they could be a factor? As we know, this women's draw has a, has a deep pool of players that could potentially win it from first-time champions to you know multi-time major champions. Who's shown out for you this week and who's somebody that should be on everybody else's radar as a contender? Well, I'm going to pick a name who, who didn't go as far as we thought in this week but uh, she's been maybe the most impressive player on the WTA in the leading up weeks with that impressive winning streak mm. was Arena uh, Sabalenka. She's, you know, I think she's just one to watch out for. Man, she strikes the ball so well. I think she's got a really wonderful attitude about her. And I think that goes a really long way because look, so much of this sport is managing your emotions and being able to keep them in check and finding the bright side to things. And, you know, I just like where she's at. Mentally, she's got a lot of confidence under her belt. Uh, we always say winning becomes a habit, losing becomes a habit. She's certainly been in the habit of winning. And her game is big enough. You know, she doesn't need other players to crumble uh, for her to win. She can blow people off the court. So uh, she's certainly one to watch out for. Yeah, it's it's been impressive, uh, her power and, and adding layers to her game where it's not just raw power anymore. I know it's almost like an easy answer, but how could you not be impressed with Ash Barty? Hasn't really played in almost a year. Looks fit, looks in shape, and Prakash, the variety that she plays with, 
it's really unmatched in a lot of ways on tour. She will mix it up and throw everything at you to keep your keep her opponent off balance. Yeah, she's a classic Aussie in that aspect. <laughs> yeah, you know they they well they teach you know they teach a beautiful slice. They teach attacking the net. They teach a variety of spins on the serve, and she's she's got all of that. And I think the fact that she uses it all is certainly her biggest threat. You know, she's able to come up with angles and mix up the spins. I, I, I don't think enough players do that on the WTA. We see them strike the ball so well, but we don't really see a huge amount of variety in the spins and angles. And the few players that are able to do that, that's why they're so good. And I really think Ash Barty's on top of that list. It's Prakash Armistrage on the TC Live podcast. Mitch Michaels here um, looking at the Australian Open uh, draw that just came out, and that's where we'll conclude this week. Uh, There are some interesting potential showdowns, and really early. If you start on that women's side, Prakash, one of your picks that you just mentioned to make some some waves, Sabalenka, fourth-round matchup with Serena Williams if that happens, and I cannot wait if that is the case. That's one of those where you, you grab the popcorn, you grab the drink of your choice, get a nice blanket, sit on the couch. That That is going to be a special one to watch. And I think the interesting thing on the WCA right now is it's very different than it was maybe five years ago where Serena was playing on the Serena Tour. And uh, then there was a rest <laughs> yeah, everybody of the WCA. <laughs> these, these younger players, taking nothing away from Serena, just talking about the younger players' mindset, they believe they can win and they should they be winning when they, when they play Serena and they've seen other players beat her. So the fact that they even have that inkling of belief, I think makes all of these matches even more interesting. And then from Serena's perspective, she's, you know, in my eyes, the greatest of all time. And, you know, you have this the queen of our game fighting for, you know, her 24th crown and possibly 25th and so on. It's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful time in the WTA. It certainly is. Uh, and we mentioned kind of how draws can work in your favor or against your favor. Uh, ironically enough, Prakash, the, the player that kind of got a raw end of the deal on the draw on the women's side was Naomi Osaka because her path to just to get to the semis could include, you know, again, things could happen, but Caroline Garcia, Anj Jabor, Garbini Muguruza just to get to a, a quarterfinal matchup, I should say. So there is, there's no love in that draw for her uh, as well. But you have so many good matchups. You have so many opportunities. Coco Goff could play Svitolina in the second round. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Bianca Andrescu, the eighth seed, hasn't played a match in well over a year. So her level is one. The ultimate wild card, I think, in this tournament is probably BB. Well, I was, I was upset that Bianca pulled out this week because... On PC Live, I predicted her to come out with a slam this year. Now, I gave myself a little room doing it at the end of the year at the U.S. Open. But listen, I, I can't say enough about BB again. You know, she was so young when she did what she did in 2019. Uh, I believe not just Toronto and the U.S. Open, but I think she won Indian Wells that year, too. And she's, again, just a, a really all-court, complete player. I mean, I saw BB come to the net. So often that summer, and my favorite thing about her, which I can't uh, reiterate enough, is, I mean, this girl, she loves the taste of the fight in her mouth. You know, I mean, when yeah. she's down and things get tough and gritty and dirty, 
man, she just hunkers down even further. And it's a beautiful thing to see. That's probably my favorite thing about watching Vivi. And that's why I'm such a big fan of her because it becomes less about the tennis, which we all know she has the game and the weapons, but it becomes more about the grit. And all the best players in the world, I don't care how impressed you are with, you know, uh, Serena's forehand and serve and how they blow people off the court. It's those days when they're not playing well that they're able to grit out a win. And, and those are the intangibles that I look for. I think BB has got them in spades, and, and I'm a huge fan. So just because she hasn't played doesn't mean I don't think she can create some magic. I think she needs to, you know, get a couple matches under her belt, start feeling comfortable, and then, you know, then she'll start kind of physically remembering, hey, I'm a Grand Slam champion. I belong here. <laughs> and next thing you know, the, the momentum frame starts rolling. Can you win with your B game? Can you win when your A level isn't there? It's the question that gets answered at the championship moments. It's why we should never count out Bianca Andreescu or, for that matter, the defending champion of the AO despite a loss last night, Sophia Kennan, who's done this before and knows what it takes to win when your best isn't there. Uh, Prakash, looking at the men's draw quickly, I just want to go over a few things. There will not be a rematch of last year's final in the final because Djokovic and team are on the same half of the draw. That could be a semi. We could see Joker and Zverev in the quarterfinals. And I'll also point this out as well. Nadal, with his back injury, we're not quite sure, could open the door for guys like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, or Rublev on that half of the draw to make their first first final so of a major. So if there's a chance, first Aussie Open final, I should say, if there's a chance to break through, it could happen on that half of the draw. There are storylines aplenty on this men's side. It's not necessarily just chalk. I think that's what makes this exciting, and I can't wait to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I mean, the men's side, it's about as deep and even as a time that I can possibly remember. I mean, you know, you'd probably put Djokovic ahead of the rest. Interesting to see how Nadal shows up in his first couple of matches. I'm sure he'll he'll show up as Rafa, as he he always does when he steps on the court. But, you know, aside from those two, I think the field is not too far behind. Everyone's playing great tennis. We've got some big hitters who are capable of some special things. I mean, look, when Matteo Berrettini gets rolling, you know, even if it is a Rafa Nadal on the other side of the court, it's tough to get those balls back. So uh, I think it's going to be a special couple of weeks. There are a couple of interesting matchups to look out for. I don't have the draw in front of me, but I think Sinner is yeah. lined up against someone. Yeah, it's. I was just going to say the most exciting match of the first round in a long time in a major, Sinner and Chapovalov. My yeah, goodness. There you go. There you go. I mean, Chapo is, you know, he's one of my, one of my guys, you know, electrifying. I'll, I'll watch that kid play tennis anywhere in the world. And, uh, Yannick Sinner, I mean, the guy's got a, he's got a way, I don't know, 85 pounds wet. And he, he still gets about two, 203 miles on every, every ground stroke that he hits. So Not, yeah. I, I think we're going to see some, certainly some, uh, uh, highlight reel points in that match not a proponent of uh of a big shoulder day over there i don't think is center i don't know I, maybe but eventually listen, my, he'll boy's get all, <laughs> my boy's all timing yeah, yeah i interviewed him in rotterdam last year i wonder if you can pull up the clip i interviewed him i'm like yo man you're looking real good over here maybe you should get into the gym with me and he was still shy i think his english has gotten much better but he was like no no i i, I scared of you i'm scared of you <laughs> We'll get in the gym next time, you and me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't want to go with you on the gym. Classic. Great kid. Great yeah. kid. 
We haven't even talked about just one final note. Uh, Nick Kyrgios is back, uh, and and it's always a show. There's a lot of good tennis. There, there's some entertaining factors as well. But uh, when he's out there, people want to see it. He has a level to play with anybody on tour. And he's looking at a potential third-round matchup with Dominic Team. So I think I speak for all of tennis when I say we really want to see that match. Yeah, we really do. I think it's one of the best things for tennis. You know, and I think the more you let him breathe, the more he'll be able to give our sport. Look, he's, he's, he's happy to be back. He's super excited, super fun. As far as the time violation thing, Nick was completely right. Mm-hmm. He was all in his motion when, when that thing got called. I think it was the umpire trying to get a little too involved there. But uh, overall, I think it would be great. He loves the crowd, loves playing on the Australia. So uh, maybe some special things from Last year had a couple epic matches, beat Hatchinoff, lost to Nadal in a long one. We'll see if he's rounding to form. Uh, Prakash Armitage, this was a blast. Uh, before I let you go, anything you want to talk about, promote? I've, I've seen the stuff on GQ India, the 30-day fitness challenge. It's been exciting. And uh, I didn't know you were a journalist as well, so we'll have to update the resume too. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, I've been writing for them for... This is nuts. I can't believe it's almost been two years now. And uh, my, my feature, my What's Your Code series has been really well received. Uh, GQ India is now the second most viewed GQ in all of the world, only behind the U.S., which is, which is pretty wild. Um, but, uh, but yeah, over this, uh, I guess, pandemic period, I've been doing additional stuff for them. We did that 30-day uh, workout at home challenge. And uh, I've actually used the last 12 months since I wasn't really going to be on camera, wasn't traveling, wasn't shooting any movies, I decided to use the last 12 months to kind of, you know, really improve the physique. So I went through what you call a bulk and cut. And normally you can't really think into it because, you know, you're on camera and you can't let yourself get out of control. But Mitch, did I commit to this one? So I think I started at about, you know, uh, maybe... 170 something something like that and the idea was to do the bulk put on the muscle you want uh which inevitably you're going to put on fat too and then cut the fat so i went all out and by september of last year i was at a whopping 216 pounds which was just you know it was uncomfortable (laughs) you know obviously I, i wasn't a fan of the way i looked but you know i did put on the muscle that i wanted i just finished up the cut and you know back you know, in the sort of 170 range, but kind of transformed the shape a bit, feeling really good with where the physique is at. So the April uh, issue of GQ India, I'm talking about that whole transformation, and uh, I'll have some I'll have some great picks that I'm posting out there soon. You're uh, you're, you're not gonna believe it. You'll be like. I can't, can't believe you two are the same guy. <laughs> well, we can't wait for that, Prakash. It's uh, been a blast uh, listening to you on TC Live and talking to you here on this podcast. We'll have to update, though, and see how our uh, our forecasts look in the weeks to come. But seriously, though, congrats on everything that's going on in your career, and thanks again for joining uh, the TC Live podcast. My, my pleasure, Mitch, and I uh, hope everyone out there enjoys the next couple of weeks of tennis. A special time for all of us, especially after last year. Absolutely is. I can't wait. I know you can't either. That was Prakash Armitage on the TC Live podcast. That's it for this week's episode. Remember, you can catch every episode on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcasts. A lot of stuff coming on that network in the weeks to come. We'll have an updated show next week 
one weekend of the Australian Open with some storylines and some developments you're not going to want to miss. I'm Mitch Michaels for Prakash Armitage. This was the TC Live Podcast. We'll see you next week.